Well, hey, and welcome to the Quad City Podcast, where we are on mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. We're so glad you're joining us in that today. Well, before we dive into today's sermon, would you do me a quick favor? Would you go ahead and open your app store and search Quad City Christian Church? Download our app because it's the best way to stay connected with what's happening here at Quad City. If you're new joining us for the first time, click that new here form as we'd love to reach out and connect with you. You can also submit prayer requests and even give on that same app. It's the best way to stay connected here at Quad City. Well, hey, now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into our sermon from Sunday. We hope you enjoy. Hey, welcome in. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are honored that you've chosen to start your week off by worshiping with us here at Quad City Christian Church. I want to welcome all of those who are joining us online from whenever and wherever you are. So grateful for you, as well as those out in Prescott Valley. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. Hey, before we dive into our message, I do have one quick announcement that I want to make. Uh, over the last several years, our church has taken our students on a mission trip to Mexico where we uh, actually go and build some houses for those in need in Mexico. And I just wanted to encourage you, if your student has not signed up for this, we would love to have them go with us. It is a life-changing uh, opportunity that, that all of our students need to begin to see the world in a different way and to leverage their life for something greater than themselves. My students have been a couple of times and I would really encourage you to join them. So uh, here's what this means for you. If you have a student, you're a little leery, you're not exactly sure, this coming Wednesday night, at 6.30, we're gonna be having a meeting here at the church in Prescott uh, that we'd invite you to come and get all your questions answered and meet some of the leaders that are going. We want as many of our students to experience this as possible. So this Wednesday, 6.30 here at the Prescott campus, uh, bring your student to student ministry. You can drop them off and then you as a parent can come and join uh, into the parents meeting and let us share the vision for why we do this with our students and what it looks like for you to join us. So that's this coming Wednesday. Come join us. All right. Today, we're going to continue this series that we've been in the last few weeks called Beyond Belief. We are working our way through the book of the Bible called James. And again, if you're a newcomer with us, you're just joining us, you can always go catch up on the whole series uh, through our YouTube channel or our website or our app or... YouTube or podcast or all the stuff. So wherever you find the stuff, you can come and join us there and catch up. But this series, we've called it Beyond Belief. And there's a reason. And the reason we called it Beyond Belief is in our text that we're going to look at today. Uh, week one of this series, I shared with you the stat that 81% of people in America claim to believe in God. They claim a belief in God. 
And while that number has gone down steadily and has really kind of taken a dip in the last 10 years, that's still a pretty high number. Here's the question that we have to wrestle with today. Is just believing in God enough to save you? Like That's the question we want to answer today. If all we had, again, I said this week one, if all we had was John 3.16, then the answer would be for sure. That's all you need. But the problem is uh, we don't just have John 3.16. There are 23,144 other verses that we have to take into consideration. When it comes to this question, is believing in God enough to save you? There's no more important text for us to look at to try to answer this question than the one that we're going to be looking at in James chapter 2 today. In fact, he begins this section that we're looking at today by asking this same question. And here's what he says. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? So James asked the very same question. If someone claims to have faith, is that enough to save them? Now, in this question, he has a, two terms that we need to define to help us answer it. First one is, what does he mean when he says faith? And then secondly, what does he mean when he says deeds? So we have to have a couple of definitions to help us try to figure this out. What does it mean when, we have, when he says someone has faith? Well, here's what it means. When we talk about faith, we're talking about biblical Orthodox faith. Simply put, this is someone who believes in what we would call an orthodox view of Christianity. That's someone who believes in God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This would be someone who believes that Jesus is God's Son, that he died in our place and for our sin, and three days later was raised to new life and conquered death so that all who believe in him would also have life. That is biblical faith. So when we hear the word faith, we have to make sure that we narrow it down to orthodox belief in Jesus as our Savior. So that's faith. Now the question is, is that enough? What about deeds? Well, deeds, deeds are not about what you believe. Deeds are not about some inward conviction. Deeds are about outward action. Deeds are the behaviors of obedience to the thou's and the thou shalt nots of Scripture. Okay, so those are the deeds. And the question is, when you think about faith and deeds, which, which box needs to be checked for someone to be saved? That's the question. Now, believe it or not, when you look at the world today, we have a lot of people, and I would say actually most people, who are banking on checking the deeds box. Most people in the world would check the box for their deeds being the thing that are going to get them in. In fact, let me try to paint the picture for you. This would include 
all people of other faiths, okay? Because again, faith as defined biblically is believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Jesus sacrificed for my sins, raised to life on the third day. If you don't, if that's not where you, what you believe, you don't get to check the faith box. So every other faith system would fit into this other, this other box. So think of all the people who don't worship Jesus as their only savior in the world. This is the camp that they're in. These are also the people who would say, I don't really believe in God, or at least not the God of the Bible, but when you look at their life, you would look at them and you would say, the world is better off because they're in it. Like, they, these are people who really love other people. Like, they genuinely love people. They generously support great causes. They would say, I believe I'm sorry, they would say, uh, we would look at them and we'd say about them that they're humble and they are kind. They make amazing neighbors. If, if you needed help in a time of need, these would be the kind of people you would call. They are respectful of your faith and your family. They are hardworking and they're honest. They're the kind of people you want to hire. They're the kind of people you want to work for. They, while they may not share your faith, they, they reflect so many of your morals. And if there was a motto that we would put with these people, I think the motto is that these are what we would call good people. They're good people. You have a lot of people in your life that fit into this category. They don't share your faith, but they're good people. And at the end of the day, they claim no faith, yet they're banking on the idea that if there is something on the other side of this life, then at the end of the day, I'm hoping that the good things that I do, the goodness of who I am outweighs the bad, and that's going to be enough to get me into the good place if there is one. They're good people. And you know a lot of people like this. In fact, if you're honest... You're kind of hoping, you're kind of hoping their being good people gets them in too. And the reason I know that is because for 25 years I've sat with families who are preparing for their funeral of their loved one. And what they tell me over and over and over in the stories that they share are they, they're good people. They love people. They're good people. Yeah, yeah, they didn't have faith and they didn't really practice faith, but they're good people. And so they're banking on the idea that, that that's going to be good enough. And so the question is, will deeds without faith in Jesus, will it save you? And the answer is no. Acts 4 12 puts it as plainly as anywhere. Salvation is found in no one else. No one outside of Jesus. Not you, not another faith. It's found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. If you want to be saved, if you want to experience salvation, it doesn't happen outside of faith in Jesus. You can't be good enough. But James, 
ironically enough, he doesn't give this as an option in our text today, that someone would try to be saved by their works outside of faith. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't do that because all of the people that James is writing to, they have all checked the faith box. He's talking to believers in this letter. So his concern, his concern is about people who have checked the faith box, but that's the only box that they've checked. Now, here's what we know. When we think of the 81% of Americans who say they believe in God, most of them have only checked the faith box. They just checked the faith box. They say they believe in God. They know John 3, 16. They have a family history of faith. Their grandparents went to faith, or went to church. Their parents went to church. They got an uncle who's a pastor. They likely own a piece of jewelry that is in the shape of a cross. They, they have a Bible in their house that was passed on to them from somebody else. And they may even have a Bible verse tattoo, Okay. But if you look at their life, you would likely not see very many of the hallmarks of someone who is living in obedience to Jesus. In other words, worship would not be a regular rhythm in their life. Their sexual ethic would look more like the world's than the word, meaning casual sex isn't that big a deal. Living with a girlfriend is perfectly normal. We're going to celebrate love in all of its form. They would say, I believe, but giving money for the sake of kingdom ministry would be rare. Humility would be seen as a weakness. They have no idea what repentance actually looks like. The closest thing they get to confession of sin is posting pictures of their parties on Instagram. They know some Bible stories, but Bible study is non-existent. In many ways, they strive to be moral, but there's no effort to be holy. Their language is probably a bit crass, and their conscience is seldom pricked, and their calendar reflects priorities of self over service. And again, if we would put a motto with these people, the motto would be, I believe. I believe. And, and they're telling you the truth. Like they truly do believe. Like they do have this intellectual assent to this idea of God and assent to who Jesus is. They could tell you all of the doctrinal statements of faith. They really believe it, but that assent does not actually affect the way that they live their life. And James asked the question, can such a faith save them? And the way that he asked the question infers the rhetorical answer, no. Of course it can't. And James is going to use the next several verses to drive home that point. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical need, what good is it? This is a perfect day for us to 
kind of play this scenario out. For those of you at the Prescott campus here, you drove in and there's like two foot of snow around the whole parking lot everywhere and you had to drive on the snow to get a parking spot because the parking lot ran out, right? Imagine for a moment that as you parked your car up against one of those snow banks, you open the door and you look out and there's a dude lying in the snow. And he's laying there and he's naked in the snow. And you can tell he's been there for a minute. And so you get out and you shut the door and you look over and you say, oh my goodness, you shouldn't be laying in the snow naked like that. If you want to get warm, you should, you should probably put some clothes on. And I really bet you would feel better if you just went and got yourself something to eat. God bless. And then walked away. So imagine you did that. Here's the question. What good does your words do for that person in need? What good does it do? Now, this is not a rhetorical question. This is interactive sermon time. I'm banking on the fact that Prescott Valley actually answered. They get engaged when, in more... Uh, uh, I love you guys out there in PV. All right, let's play along today. Imagine this is not rhetorical. What good does it do for you to tell the naked guy in the snow, hey, you should get up, put some clothes on, get warm and eat something, and then walk away? What good does it do him? But what, what if, but what if you really, really believe it? What if you really believe they should put some clothes on? What if you really believe that they should get something to eat? What if you really believe it? What good does it do him if you really believe it? Does no good. And that's the point that James is making. That's the point. In the same way, in the same way that you sang to the naked guy in the snow, it would be good for you to put some clothes on and get something to eat. In the same way that that does him absolutely no good. Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. In the same way that telling a hungry man he should eat something, doesn't do him any good. In the same way that saying you should put a shirt on if you're going to lay in the snow doesn't do him any good. Your faith saying, I believe, if there is no action to go with that belief, he says it's dead. It's useless. It does no good. It will not save you. James continues, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Well, you can go do your thing and I'll go do my thing and we'll just take whatever roads we can to get to the other side. Do you have faith, I have deeds? As if there's multiple ways to get into the kingdom. You say, you have faith, I have deeds. And James responds to that by saying, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. I will show you my faith by my deeds. This is so, so important. Please hear me today. Make sure you hear this very clearly. This will save you an email. Works don't 
save you. Faith plus works don't save you. We are saved by grace through faith. Works have no saving power. But what James is telling us here is our faith is put on display by our deeds. True faith will reveal itself in your actions. If you have faith, your deeds will display it. If you don't have deeds, that only reveals that you also don't have faith. Here's the truth. You can believe all of the right stuff. You can have perfect orthodox in your doctrine. You can believe it with 100% certainty without an an ounce of doubt, and that perfect orthodoxy in and of itself will not save you. How do we know that? Because that's the kind of belief that demons have. You believe that there's one God. Good. Good for you. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Don't miss this. Satan believes in God. Satan believes in Jesus as the Son of God. Satan believes that he was crucified and dead and buried. And Satan believes that he rose again three days later and conquered death. And Satan believes that and has never for a moment in his existence have doubted it. You've doubted it. He never has. Demons have perfect Orthodox faith, but it is not a faith that will save them because it doesn't drive them to worship, it drove them to rebel. Which begs the question does our faith actually drive us to worship? Not just sing songs, not just say words, not just to repeat creeds but to live your life as an act of worship to the Almighty God? Or do you have the kind of faith that allows you to believe all the right things and yet live in rebellion? Just like the demons do. To drive the point home even further, James offers up a couple of illustrations, a couple of examples that everyone in his predominantly Jewish audience would have understood. Remember we, back in week one, he's writing this to primarily Jewish people who came from Jerusalem, under, underwent persecution, and have now been scattered. Okay? So he's writing to predominantly Jewish people and wants to help drive home this point that it's not enough just to believe things. And he leverages two stories that all of them would have known, starting First off, with the father of faith, Abraham himself. You foolish person. Pause. I think sometimes we can blow right past a statement like this 
and we don't put the emphasis on it that James is putting on it. Speaking to those who would say, I believe, but my life doesn't look like it, and that's just fine. James looks at that person, and he calls them a fool. You're a fool if you think somehow that you just believing the thing is enough. You're foolish. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? You raising your hand and saying, I believe the thing, but my life doesn't reflect any belief in the thing? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac at the altar? The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven. Oh, back up, sorry. He, he says, you, you remember Abraham? And again, all of the Jewish people would have remembered this story. He's pointing back to the time where God tested Abraham. Now, if you were here during our Romans series, you may have remembered we talked a lot about Abraham. He was the father of faith. And Paul points to Abraham a lot. And one of the main reasons he points to Abraham is he keeps saying, he leverages Abraham's life to say, you have to, we are saved by grace through faith. That's what Abraham's life teaches us over and over. And so it can get a little bit like, wait a second, James uses Abraham as an example. Paul uses Abraham as an example. Are they conflicting each other? And the answer is no, they are not. They are talking to two different audiences, making two different arguments at two different time periods. They're not contradicting each other at all. James points to Abraham's life and he says, look, there was a time when God tested Abraham. We talked about this in chapter one of James. God will test our faith. And he tested Abraham's faith. And the way that he did it, he says, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, and I want you to offer him up to me as a, as a sacrifice. This is the son of the promise. This is the one that Abraham had waited 25 years for the promise to be fulfilled. But Abraham hears from the Lord and he believed the Lord. And so because of his belief, he gathered up the wood. And he gathered up a knife and some matches he took his son and he marched him up the hill and he built an altar and he bound his son and he laid him on the altar to offer him as a burnt offering to God. And he pulls out the knife and with every intention that he had, he raises the knife above his head to slit the throat of his son. And just as he's about to do so, a voice comes from the heaven saying, Abraham, Abraham. Don't lay a hand on him. And then, in Genesis chapter 22, this is what happened. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. 
what God declared to Abraham was that you're, you're going to be a blessing, not just to you and your family, not just to your descendants, but all of the nations on the earth are going to be blessed. Why? Because you believed something. No. Because you obeyed out of your belief. It wasn't just that he believed. It was because Abraham did something. that God says all the world's going to be blessed through you. James sums it up this way. You see, his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. It was his faith was made complete by what he did. It wasn't enough for him just to say, I believe that faith had to be tested and put into action, and that's when his faith was made complete. And James adds this summary statement. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Again, do not misunderstand me. James is not discounting the need for faith or that he's saying a person can be saved by their works. What he's saying is that just as works without faith won't save you, neither will a faith that does not produce fruit. There is a faith that won't save you and it's a faith that does not produce fruit. James wraps up his argument by giving one more example. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? Again, this is a story everyone in a Jewish household would have known. It's takes place in Joshua chapter 2 where the Israelites have been wandering in the wilderness for some 40 years and now they're on the precipice of the promised land and they're about to go in but they know they're going to have to fight some battles when they get in and so before they cross the line they send in some spies but apparently these were terrible spies because no sooner than they get there everybody knows they're there and the authorities are looking for them but Rahab, the prostitute, poor lady, for all of eternity That's how we're going to remember. Oh, you're the prostitute. I heard about you. Yeah. Rahab runs into the spies and she says, I believe. I've heard about your God. I've heard what he's done. Everybody here is scared to death. I'm with you. I believe. But it wasn't enough that she just believed something. What, What made her righteous was what she did Because she believed. So she takes in the spies and hides them in her house. The authorities come and she sends the spies that way. And when the authorities ask, hey, have they been there? She goes, yeah, they were here. And they went that way. And they all take off after the spies. She sent them the other way. And James says, that's what made her righteous was because she she behaved in a way that reflected the belief that she claimed. 
and to make sure that we don't miss the point, to make sure that we don't miss the gravity of this situation, Paul paints one final picture. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. My guess is most of us have seen a body without the spirit. Do you remember seeing a body without a spirit? Been to a funeral where you saw a body without a spirit? You had a dog that you loved die? You saw a body that was lifeless? What good is a body without a spirit? Well, let me ask it this way. What does a body without a spirit do? What's it do? Nothing. It's useless. A body without a spirit is dead. It has no, it does nothing. Once the spirit is gone, the body is useless. And James is letting us know the same is true for someone who claims to have faith but has no deeds. It's like a body without a spirit. So it brings us back to our boxes. Works without faith will not save you. It will not save you. Faith without deeds will not save you. Scripture makes it clear. James is so emphatic. What saves you is a faith in Christ by grace that produces in you obedience to Jesus. That's the only way that you can know for sure that the faith that you have is a faith that will save, is it is reflected in what you do. There is a faith that won't save you, and it is a faith that produces no fruit. The only kind of faith that will save you is a faith that is marked by obedience to Jesus. The only kind of faith that will save you is a faith that changes how you live your life every single day. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would raise up that kind of faith in us, that we wouldn't just have some cognitive assent to a a belief system, a set of rules or doctrines, but Father, we would have a real, genuine, alive faith that transforms us It's not just some internal conviction, but it is outward action based upon the work that you've done inside of us. So Father, raise up among this church, among this body, believers whose lives are transformed by grace through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Amen. And thank you so much for joining us today here at the Quad City Podcast. Hey, our desire is that we would each look more and more like Jesus every day, week, month, and year. And we know that that doesn't just come from learning more about him and his word, but by actually applying it to our lives today. We hope that you take this message that you heard today and apply it to your life in a way that makes you honor him.
Well, thanks again for joining us today. Be sure to download the Quad City app and we will see you again next time.